So here we now come to God's word to hear these words of power and words of truth. So church family, hear God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Ben and Pastor Eric, uh, uh, as well, and to the the wonderful music from the the team that we've just heard. And... um, Uh, Thank you for allowing me to come late to the service this morning. I was just at the membership class up in uh, the library up there and was just talking to them about the church and vision and all the rest, and hence um, just finished that, walked down here, managed to get here before the the beginning of the sermon, which is usually a good idea if you're a preacher. (laughs) So we're looking this morning at the, um, the last piece of the armor, though we've got one more sermon to come um, after the, uh, the, the missions festival, the two-week missions festival, um, which is, of course, about prayer, which is also related to the armor, of course. Uh, but this morning, we're looking particularly at this, the sword, which is our one spiritual weapon. Uh, we've already prayed. Uh, the, 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 the hymn uh, before we uh, began was a prayer, so we don't need to pray again. We come now to these words of truth. Let me then read them out for us one more time. Ephesians uh, chapter 6, and we're focusing particularly on the sword of the Spirit this morning, which is the second half of verse 17. So if you have a Bible open, turn to that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Paul says this, And take the helmet of salvation... We looked at that last week, and then this week, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, why are we thinking about this um, matter this morning, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God? I have three answers to that question, why we're looking at this this morning. The first is, very evidently, in our experience of, uh, if you've been around Christian circles for any length of time, uh, and certainly if you grew up in the church, 
very evidently you'll know that there is an apparent lack of balance in our churches in this regard. So here we have Paul saying, um, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, but in our experience as Christians, very evidently, it is apparent that there are whole different church movements that emphasize one or other of that balance. You can go to churches that are spirit kind of churches, or you can go to churches that are word kind of churches. So one reason why we need to think about this is that very evidently, as a Christian movement, we're lacking balance. And the reasons why uh, we're lacking balance, a lot of them just do church history, the the Pentecostal um, revival movement that began in the early 20th century and then the the third wave charismatic movement with John Wimber and the vineyard churches and, uh, and all of that, and that emphasis on the work of the Spirit. And then in reaction to that, among more conservative-minded churches and denominations and Christian movements, an opposition to that that emphasized Bible and truth and word and all the rest. And so there's a lack of balance. It's partly due to that issue of, uh, of church history that, that, that has impacted us. It's also due to just the history of the world. So we, we, we are at a point in time where we're inheritors of uh, the Enlightenment rationalization that gave birth to science and all, all, all that reason and that way of approaching life. And then, then there have been reactive movements to that, the 19th century romantic movement, and then the 1960s and the 70s of the sexual revolution. And right now we're going through another reactive movement to that with the emphasis on authenticity and feelings and experience and life context. And all this is like more feeling side of things rather than thinking side of things. And that, of course, then influences the church to be split along the same point of tension. And so one reason why we need to think about this is there's a very evident, quite apparent lack of balance. And if we are to, as this is the one spiritual weapon we have, sword of the Spirit, our only spiritual weapon, which is the Word of God, it's a lack of balance. Well, we're not going to be using it right. So that's one reason. I said there were three reasons why this is important. The second reason why it's important is to do with an evident and very apparent lack of credibility. So for 100 years or so, um, encased within the ivory tower experience of intellectual elites, there was a lot of what's called historical criticism or higher criticism of the Bible. And it was kind of encased up there and other people didn't really notice it too much. And so up in those elite areas, you'd hear language about the documentary hypothesis and historical criticism and 
and uh, Graf Wellhausen, uh, German um, critical scholars, and, and uh, JEPD, the, the Old Testament source document hypothesis that the Bible, in other words, in that case, particularly the Old Testament, but there are parallel analyses from the New Testament, that the, the Bible is, is made up of different sources that have been edited together and you, you need to analyze where it comes from. And, and this generated all sorts of movements like the search for the historical Jesus, because this isn't the historical Jesus, you've got to search for him somehow. And all this was for a long time encased within the ivory tower of the intellectual elites, but in the last 20, 30 years has, has just disseminated through popular culture, at least in its feeling, what that means is, for many people today, the Bible is not seen as credible. You say, well, this is what the Bible is saying, and in the person's mind is, yeah, but isn't it just a bunch of myths? Isn't it all made up? Is it really historically accurate? And again, of course, if that is allowed to prevail then it's much harder to use the sword of the Spirit, isn't it? Because you think, well, it's not credible. And so we need to address this, this uh, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God, I'm going to make the case, and you'll see this as we go through it, I think in this context here, it means the actual written words of Scripture. But if the actual written words of Scripture are viewed as not credible, then people aren't going to use them. And so we need to address that. But the third reason is, is really more practical. And so practically speaking, for many people when they go to church, the decision has been made by the powers that be, the leaders, the pastors, and all the rest. The decision has been made that the Bible is not particularly practical. Uh, maybe because of these movements of it being imbalanced or not credible. It's not particularly practical. And so you can go to a church and never actually have the Bible opened. Never actually read the scripture, never actually go through it carefully because the thinking is, it's not practical. And so what if, if it isn't, <laughs> if that's the case, well, of course, people aren't going to use, aren't going to use the scripture, are they? And if they, do, if they do use it, often it's just um, what, what sometimes is called the red letter parts. That is, in some Bibles, the words of Jesus are printed in red, the red letter parts. They'll, they'll use the red letter parts because they are viewed as practical. Uh, of course, the irony of that is the red letter parts, Jesus' words, he spends a huge amount of time quoting from the Old Testament. So that's, you know, so you can't get away from it. The New Testament, as C.S. Lewis puts it, is a... Is, is a tissue paper of quotations from the Old Testament. But if you don't think it's credible, you're not going to use it. If you don't think it's balanced, you're not going to use it effectively. If you don't think it's practical, because it's not credible and not balanced, then you're not going to use it. So we need to address uh, this matter. Well, what then is uh, Paul saying here? I'll give it to you in a summary sentence and explain how I get there. What I believe Paul's saying here is simply this. He's saying that to win our spiritual battle, remember the, um, the thesis behind this whole series is that today we're in a spiritual battle. Now, Christians always are in a spiritual battle, but there's a particularly intense sense in which many of us think we're in a particularly acute kind of spiritual battle 
Um, not against flesh and blood, but against the principality powers and darkness of this, of this world. So to win our spiritual battle, this is what Paul's saying here with this text we're looking at this morning. To win our spiritual battle, we need to use our only spiritual weapon, which is to say what God says. So let me, having given to you that as a summary, let me explain how I get there. Um, So obviously this text has basically got three parts to it, the sword, the spirit, and the word. So let's look at those. So in terms of the sword, uh, many people um, analyze this, what Paul means by the sword, by the background of uh, the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, where um, the Messiah puts on spiritual armor, and he also uses um, the sword as uh, his word, the sword of his mouth. So Isaiah 49 verse 2 talks about the sword of his mouth that goes out and slays injustice and evil and all the rest of that. So one way of looking at this is that because the Ephesians were the messianic community, they were in Christ, they're one new humanity, we as Christians are the messianic community, we're Christians, we're messianic, that's what it means, we're in him, and therefore we need to put on his spiritual armor and use that spiritual weapon of speaking God's word. That's one way of, of analyzing what Paul's meaning here by the sword of the spirit. But also in terms of background, biblical background, the Old Testament uses not only uh, the sword as the messianic um, armor, but also as the word of God itself spoken by the prophets. So Hosea chapter 6 describes how God, uh, through the prophets, Um, slays those who are opposed to the truth. In other words, God's word itself is is a cutting force that cuts through evil and injustice and establishes righteousness. And it's the prophetic word itself Uh, Similarly, when you come to the New Testament, there's an emphasis upon um, this sword being the cutting power of the actual words of God. So I'm making the case this is the the written uh, scripture. There's an emphasis on this, this sword. So um, uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians describes how we have weapons of righteousness which is the word of truth that's being spoken, the weapons of righteousness on the left hand and the right hand. There's this weapon that we have that is this speaking what God is, uh, is, is saying. Or um, uh, most famously, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where we're told that uh, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. This, 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 this actual speaking of God's word is a sword that cuts or I think most amazingly of all, um, in the book of Revelation, chapter 19 and verse 15, it describes there the word of God with the sword coming out of his mouth. So it's the actual saying what God says, the sword. Well, what about the Spirit? Why is this the sword of the Spirit? Paul could have put, said the sword of Jesus. He could have put the sword of God. He, he could have put the sword of truth or something. But no, it's the sword of the Spirit. Why? Well, the answer to that is because uh, biblically, the Holy Spirit is intimately involved in not only um, revealing God's written words, uh, but also um, illuminating them for us so that we can understand them. 
So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses um, 16 and 17, tell us that all Scripture is, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. So all Scripture is is God-breathed. And at the back of the word spirit in biblical thinking is the idea of wind or breath. And so when Paul says that Scripture is God-breathed, what he's saying is it's God-spirited out, breathed out by the Spirit, these written words. Or somewhat similarly in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, uh, Peter there describes the process by which revelation occurs, uh, the revelation of Scripture occurs, which is that the prophets of old were carried along as they spoke. They were carried along by the Spirit. Now, right there, we have the Christian doctrine of Scripture. So Christians, we who are Christians, do not believe the same as Muslims believe about the Quran. So Muslims, they believe about the Quran that the Quran just kind of landed Bonk, you're like, bam, there it is. Without any historical context or human author. That's not what Christians believe. Christians believe that the Bible, which is really a library of different books written by different human authors, and so has historical context, and you can see the personality of human authors, but at the same time is fully and completely inspired, breathed out by God as, as, as the, the penman of Scripture wrote, superordained, as theologians say, breathed out by God the, the, uh, through their personality, through that historical context, through their writing. Uh, the theological f- phrase is verbal plenary inspiration. That is, the actual words are completely plenary, fully inspired, even though they're also human author words. There's a human author, but there's also a divine author. So the work of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, in revealing these actual words, but also in terms of interpreting them, understanding them, illuminating them for us. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, that in order to understand what the Spirit says, how do we understand what the Spirit says? Well, the only way to understand what the Spirit says is for the Spirit to be at work in us. We need the Spirit to be working us, otherwise we won't understand it. This is, if you want a reason why, and I, I saw this over and over again when I was studying theology and academic stuff, you could find the, the most brilliant people who would come up with the most bizarrely idiotic ideas about the Bible. And what, how could that be? Well, the answer is you, you need the work of the Spirit to actually see what what God is saying. Um, that's why uh, 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 the Bible says, without holiness, no one will see God. Well, that means that you won't be able to understand, perceive, see what God is saying and who he is without the work of the Spirit. That doesn't mean we don't need to use our brain. So as uh, Paul says in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, we need to think on these things, to think about the context, the author, the historical uh, background, uh, the flow of the argument. We need to think, and as we think, God will give us insight into all these things. And so the work of the Spirit is 
intimately involved with, with fully and completely revealing Scripture through the personalities and the historical context of the people who wrote the Bible, which is a library of different books. But also, as we seek to understand the Bible, we need the work of the Spirit in ourselves, to be filled with the Spirit, to be close to Jesus so we can hear and understand what he's saying. So there's the sword, there's the Spirit. And now, the third part of what he's saying here is, obviously, um, uh, the Word. What does he mean here by the Word, the Word of God? As I said at the beginning, my, uh, I think that what Paul here means in this context by the Word of God is the actual written words in the Bible. That's what I think he means. The actual Scripture, the actual words of the Bible. Why is that? Because... Uh, Partly because of context and partly because how this sword, our only spiritual weapon, is actually used in the Bible. So in context, Paul already has talked about the belt of truth. So the belt of truth is um, more general theological uh, ideas, uh, apologetics, the truth about who God is and what he's like. And all that's very important. We need a belt of truth. We need the belt of truth. But the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, is not that. It's something else. And what it is, is the actual written words of Scripture. And this is how the sword of the Spirit is used in the Bible. So famously, for instance, when Jesus is tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter 4, he does not say to defeat um, the forces of darkness arraigned against him. He does not say, um, my theological supposition is the following. Um, my, my, my answer to that question is this, that, and the other. He doesn't say that. What does Jesus say? It is written. It is written. It is written. Why don't you tell these stones to become bread? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the sword of the Spirit. The actual, that's not to say the belt of truth isn't important, it is, but we're talking about something different here. We're talking about the actual written words of Scripture. Similarly, in um, uh, Luke chapter 10, when Jesus is opposed by uh, 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 the, the scribal religious leaders and ask a, uh, a difficult, difficult question by them, he replies, uh, what is written? What's actually written? Well, the same in John uh, chapter 10. How is it written? It's the actual written words of Scripture. That's what I think is in Paul's mind here. And if you look uh, through church history, the use of the written words of Scripture has been the definitive answer when the church has been under, under attack. That has been our only spiritual weapon. So most famously, of course, Martin Luther, who, you know, as, as we realize, those who have looked at Martin Luther's character, he's by no means perfect. He certainly made mistakes. I'm not making an icon or idol of him in any way whatsoever, but he was much used by God. And how and why? Because he used the actual words of Scripture. And of course, the famous, the just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith, using the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The actual written words 
of Scripture. So all that is to say that I, I, I think that what Paul is arguing here is the following. To win our spiritual battle, we need to use our only spiritual weapon, which is to say what God says. Now, if that's the case, how do we do it? Well, I have four uh, answers to how to do it for us this morning. Here they are. First of all, weaponization. <laughs> weaponization. So James says, not... There's nothing you can do about the devil. Run away from him. He doesn't say that. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Too many times Christians today are defeatist. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. There's nothing we can do about it. That's not the Bible's approach. Get out the sword of the Spirit. It's, it's a change of attitude that the church, this church, any church, the church at large, needs predominantly to embrace. Not pacifist. Now, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against the, the forces of darkness uh, and the principalities and powers. We're not talking about fighting against people. We're talking about using the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to engage in injustice and evil, to reach out to people, to actually use. It's not the, it's not the only piece of armor we have. We also have the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, but it is our only spiritual weapon. So we need to change our attitude, this weaponization to actually, our attitude needs to be resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Not to um, trivialize the forces of darkness. Uh, the book of Jude speaks about that. No, this is a real battle. Uh, the, the devil is real and dangerous. Not to trivialize the forces of darkness but to draw the sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So weaponization. Uh, I said there are four practical ways. Second, spiritualization. So we, this lack of balance, we tend to come to the Bible, to the Scriptures, and approach them as something um, intellectual, informational, educational, but rarely something spiritual. This time of preaching now is not merely a time of teaching. It is that. I like to 
give new information. I like to receive new information. It is a time of teaching, of course. But it's not merely that. It's a spiritual moment. We're engaged in spiritual war. It's a moment of worship. We need to rebalance the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So there's a weaponization, but there's also a a spiritualization. You see this uh, particularly in Jesus' encounter with the, the Sadducees where they ask him about the resurrection from the dead and how this is possible, and he answers to them. And the, the principle that he gives as he answers to them, he says, are you not in error because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? And what we need for the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, to know, is to know both the Scriptures and the power of God because they go together because the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So weaponization, spiritualization, memorization. If we are to actually be able to use the sword of the Spirit, then we need to to know the the Word of God. We need to know it beyond what is written. It needs to be written in our minds and hearts so that we can speak that Word of God. Um, I am sometimes asked what my favorite uh, Bible verses, and of course the answer is my favorite Bible verse is, is the passage that I'm studying that, uh, right at that moment. Um, but I, I grew up in the Church of England, and I was christened, baptized as a baby, and then confirmed as, a, um, as an adult around 13 or so, and the confirmation Bible that I was given had in it a particular Bible verse, which is Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, which is, uh, have, uh, have, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be afraid, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's a wonderful verse to memorize. Right before it, though, there's another verse, Joshua 1 verse 8, which says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, for then you'll be prosperous and successful. To actually, and why do you say, book of the law, depart from your mouth? The reason why it's said like that is because in ancient times, the technique of reading silently in your head had not been discovered until relatively recently, you know, a couple of thousand years or so ago, but historically relatively recently. And so when it says, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth, what it means is someone speaking over the words of God as they read it so that you, 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 you imbibe it, you understand it, and you internalize it. It becomes a part of you and you memorize it. Psalm 119 says, um, how may a young man not sin against you? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. To memorize scripture. And of course the way to memorize scripture is simply to read it a lot. That's how to do it. It's not some great hidden mystery. I mean you think, what's your, what's your, you think, what's your favorite movie? I bet you you can quote to me, if we were speaking afterwards and I said to you, what's your favorite movie? I bet you, you could quote to me some lines from that favorite movie. I bet you. Why? You've seen it a lot. So the way to, the way to be able to memorize scripture is just to read it a lot. And this isn't merely so that if you're thrown in jail, 
then you'll be able to, and you don't have a Bible with you, you'll still be able to have the mind, the Bible in your mind so you could speak it. Uh, fair consideration, I suppose, but not only that, but there are many circumstances in life where you, do, you can't access the Bible immediately. And you're, you're driving down the highway, you can't get out your phone and look at the Scripture. It needs to be in your mind. Well, you shouldn't, anyway. And you think about it as warfare. If, you, if you're in a, in a fight and you're, you're encountering a battle, you can't say, okay, hold on a moment. Let me just go to the back room. I've got my gun there in the back room. It's in a closet. I'm going to find it. I'll get a key, bring it out. Okay, now I'm ready. It has to be ready in your mind. The only way to do that is memorization, which means reading it a lot. And then finally, utilization. Actually using it uh, as an individual, as a family, as a church. I um, only ever met Billy Graham once uh, in a group of about 10 or 15 uh, people or so. So I certainly didn't, didn't know Billy Graham personally at all. I did not. But I know people who did. And one of the stories I'm told about Billy Graham by uh, someone who knew him well was that he literally never went into a room to see Billy Graham without him having the Bible open. Never. (laughs) You want to say, what's the secret source for effective ministry? That's the secret source. What, what, is, what was Billy Graham's most famous phrase? The Bible says. If you like, I'll try and give you a Carolina accent, as I said. The Bible says. <laughs> Can you hear it? That, that's the secret source. Same is true of Jonathan Edwards, who's known for his intellectualization of everything. But actually, what his contemporaries described him for was being a man who studied the Scriptures more than anyone else at the time did. Why? Because to win the spiritual battle, we need to use our only spiritual weapon, which is to say what God says. Well, it's 10.35. We've done enough for one, for one day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. We do pray that you would help us to use the spiritual weapon for your glory and for our good and for the good of the church and the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.